What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on combochurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. message. But if you have um, if you have a Bible with you, or even the YouVersion Bible app, let's go to, uh, it's the first book of the New Testament. It's the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to read just a couple of verses to kind of kick things off today. Uh, I, I am uh, excited to share the things that we're going to share today. And, um, and so, and we're going we're to talk about money. So, so for those that are like, man... Um, all right, you know, like if you if today was the day that you came, you're like, all right, fine, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a shot. But every time, you know, this is all they talk about is money. Um, I don't know where I don't know where he came from. I don't know what that past experience was like. I don't know how they did it or why they did it. Uh, but I know why we're gonna talk about it. And Jesus talked about it more than he talked about heaven, more than he talked about the kingdom of God, more than he talked about hell, more than he talked about prayer. He talked about money because there's something to that. And so for us as a church, we're not, I'm not going to apologize for that. We're going we're gonna to talk about it. And we're going to make sure that we have, as we're refocusing, that we have God's heart for generosity and for financial obedience in the kingdom of God. So I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I want us to lay out this initial script. Uh, I need to get there. Y'all are already there. Matthew chapter 28. Uh, you, you might recognize this as uh, what's referred to as the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read just the last two verses, or I'm sorry, the last three verses of, of this uh, of this chapter, and these are this is these are one of the one of the phrases one of the things that Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended back into heaven, as a as a victorious king. By the way, we we sang about him today. Did you catch that? We sang about Jesus is our victorious king. We're not we're not praying God. I pray. I hope that there's a victory. Jesus, is like, what do you think I did? Like this is our you're already living a victory. Come on, let's let's begin to walk out that victory. And you do that by putting your faith in the one who has already gained the victory on our behalf. Amen. And so so he's he's with his disciples. He's about to pull one of the coolest tricks, one of the coolest things he's ever did in the world, which is literally he started to levitate and he went back to heaven. Fantastic. That would have been like if you were to pick top five things that you wanted to be there in person for, I think well, the resurrection would have been pretty stinking cool. Uh just oh, that's top five. But to stand there and watch him just boop, as he's talking to you, yeah, that's the top five. Would have wanted been I would have I would have definitely wanted been there for that. Um, <clears throat> but we get, we get to see the reverse. Just just so you know. Anyway, okay, Matthew twenty eight, uh, starting in verse eighteen. Jesus came and told his disciples, "I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth." All right, so let's do a little pop quiz. How much authority does Jesus have? Where? So so everywhere. Okay, that was, you all passed. Great, good job, y'all. <clears throat> Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all, somebody say all, all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you even to the end of the age. There's a couple of things that are brilliant in here that we get to walk away with with hope. Number one, Jesus is in control. And, and his response to telling us that he has all authority in heaven and on earth was to commission us out. And why was he commissioning us out? Because he was giving us, like when you have authority, you get to give authority. So what Jesus was doing was saying, hey, guess what? I've got the authority. 
everywhere. Now I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to delegate my authority and put it in you so that you can go and do the thing that I began. You're going to continue it. And so it's not just go and gather in church. That doesn't actually, that's not the instructions here. It says go and make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is someone who is being disciplined as a pupil under some teaching. That's what a disciple is. Like you can be a disciple of anything, but we want to be disciples of Christ. So that's the whole purpose of how the church even started was not just so that we could gather and circle up the wagons because the world is so corrupt and evil and everyone else is winning except for us. We just are trying to hang on until Jesus comes back because everything is so bad. Just close your eyes, hold your breath, be at church and God's going to take care of the rest. No, that's terrible. I don't want to exist in that. That's not how we're supposed to exist. We're supposed to be going because we are going as victorious people. <clears throat> and we're doing so under the authority of Jesus Christ. I love how he said, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Um, he doesn't say, teach them to obey some of the commands I have given you. He doesn't say, teach them to, um, to pick and choose the ones that they like that I've given you. He doesn't say, interpret my scripture as whatever truth you want the truth to be for you that I have given you. He says, no, I've showed you, I've taught you, I've given you. Now take what I have taught, shown, and given and give it to everyone else and teach them to obey all those things. Somebody say all. So, so let's talk about the church. The church is the vehicle for the legacy of God to move forward. It started with the disciples. It carried over into the, into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. All of the followers of Jesus were, were meeting together because they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus told them to do. And then they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with supernatural power. And at that point, they were ready to go out and do this thing called the Great Commission. Not before, but after. They, that's when they were ready to go out and do. And so they began to gather, and they began to preach the gospel. Gathering is what constitutes the church. The body of Christ, like we are individually the body of Christ, but by yourself, you're not the church. I see that on, on social media all the time, people saying things about how they don't need to be a part of uh, a church because I am the church. No, you're not. No, you're not. That's, not. that's not even theologically accurate. You are a part of the body of Christ as an individual, but you are not the church on your own. We are the church when we gather in the name of Jesus. We are the, and that's not even a four walls thing. We are the church when we gather out there. We are the church when we gather in here. We are the church when we gather in a small group. But God brings us all together because in a unified sense, what we can accomplish together will always be so much more significant than what we can accomplish on our own. And even for those who are content to only meet in small pockets here and there, I would tell you that if you are doing what Scripture commands you to do as a Jesus follower, then multiplication and growth is not even something to discuss. Because everything that Jesus touched, breathed on, and moved on had life, and everything that has life grows, everything that has life will multiply. And so that's the truth in the church. When, when something stays small, there's something broken. So if, we, if you come into it, like we started with eight people in our living room. That's how it started. And it was a horrible strategy, that first one, but it worked great because <laughs> God was in it. And then all of a sudden, people began to come and people began to show up. And then we start a church and then people start getting saved and people began to come. And so then we go from one service to two services. We survived what we think we survived 2020, 2021. I don't even know what year it is anymore, honestly, guys. We're just kind of, we're just, we're just living some life trying to love Jesus. And so, but here's the thing, like when things are not growing, it's because they have either maxed out, they have lost the thing that sustains the growth, or there's something that is not healthy. 
So don't ever, ever for one moment think that small and comfortable is where God has called you to be. The expanse of the kingdom of God is ever expanding. He also wants you to be ever expanding in your spirit as a Jesus follower. And he wants the church to be ever expanding. And so we have to understand that in the context of what God has called us to do, we have people all the time, I like your church because where I was before I was too big, and I just like something that's really small and I can know everybody. I'm like, I understand where you're coming from, but there's nothing in here that says that's a qualification for finding a good church. Because if you come here in a year, two, five years from now, it's the same group of people that it was a year, two years, or five years before, there's something broken in here. The church is the vehicle for the legacy of God to move forward. Uh, I think everybody on planet Earth, if, they, if they're in their right mind, desires their life to matter for something. So I think everybody thinks about this. What is my life meant for? What's my legacy going to be? And in the kingdom of God, things shift. It shifts from what is my legacy going to be to what is God's legacy and how can I be a part of it? How can God's legacy move through me? When Jesus gave the great commission to the early disciples, he was establishing the authority he had for his legacy, placing it in those followers and telling them to continue to expand the legacy of God through the church. So the great commission, which was you know, some of Jesus' last words, um, was something that sets the tone for Jesus' followers. If you've ever wondered what is the job description for a Jesus follower, there it is. Like, what am I supposed to do? What's my call? Like, let's not get so distracted and so caught up in, like, the, the, the bullet points of everything you're going to do with your life and be stressed out because you don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. What's my purpose? What's my calling? What's my ministry? Why, let's just go out and, and, and help people to know Jesus and to, and to live like Jesus. And we have the opportunity to show them when we have a life that's fully surrendered to the Lord as well. Amen. So it's important for us to demonstrate to others what Jesus has demonstrated to us. Paul, Paul demonstrates that a couple of times. He says in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh, sometimes, when we, sometimes we play a little bit of this false, humble game. We're like, well, I don't, it's not about me. Well, it's not, of course it's not about you. It's about Jesus. But Jesus chose to use you, so that very much makes it about you. <laughs> So stop being afraid of God using you. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He wasn't saying he was Christ, and he wasn't saying he was perfect because there were probably moments where he wasn't imitating Christ. So he, he wanted to make sure, imitate me as I imitate Christ. If I'm not imitating Christ, don't do that because that's probably not what Christ would want you to do. Later in that very same chapter, he says, he says I pass on to you what I received from Christ. Do you see the, do you see the flow? Where authority is established, authority flows through, and those who honor the authority and receive that authority have the authority to also continue that legacy. And that's where we are this morning. So I've said it before. Uh, I say it all the time because this is true about who God is. Nothing demonstrates the heart of God to the world like pure generosity. Absolutely nothing. And I'm not talking about like a single generous act or a generous moment. I'm talking about a pure heart, a lifestyle of generosity. Uh, every, every part of the nature of God is demonstrated through God's generosity. Like, it's, like generosity would be the package that God puts his nature in and sends to everybody. Because when God loves you, and it's not love isn't something God does, it's something he is. So his love comes through generosity. His holiness comes in generosity. His grace comes wrapped in generosity. His forgiveness comes, y'all should be thankful for that, comes in generosity. Like everything that God does, he doesn't skimp. 
He doesn't hold back. He doesn't give you barely enough. God is a God of more than enough. Prove me wrong. It's in Scripture. And so what we're going to share today, um, honestly, it's of the utmost importance for your life. Because if you begin to truly tap into the generous nature in the heart of God, the authority that comes from Christ, he's giving you the authority to live in the same stream of generosity through which Jesus lived and which he died and which he rose from the dead. So we have that opportunity to begin to walk in a new nature, not in generous moments, not in single generous acts, but living a generous lifestyle as we allow the Spirit of God to move through, to move through us. So, so here, here's the first thing. There are, there are two responses to God and it, uh, that unlock this generosity, okay? Do you got that? There's two of them. Here's the first one. The first one is this. Obedience is the first step. <clears throat> and I'll say it this way. Obedience is both the proper response to God's love and the proof that you love God. That's huge. That's huge. You can't say you love God and not do the things that God tells you to do. You just, you just can't do that. A couple of scriptures here. 1 John 14, 15. Is Jesus, these are his words. And if you've ever, you know, you're like, Jesus, what do you mean? I don't understand. This is pretty clear. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Like, oh, okay, all right, Jesus. I think I might be seeing what you're trying to say here. So what you're saying is that if, if I obey the commands you're giving me, that means that I love you. It's like, yes, that's it. So you can either, and this is where I would encourage you, because everything that we've received from the Lord, we've received through, through truth, through love, through grace. Also understanding the context that we're receiving this, not just from a casual friend, but from a holy God. Please understand that. What we've received from the Lord is not just from our buddy up in heaven, our homeboy Jesus. It's from a holy God. You're like, wow, obeying my commandments, I thought Jesus was all about grace. I thought Jesus was all about like, hey, it's okay if you screw up. Don't worry about it, man. Just, just I love you. Like, Yeah, he does. That doesn't stop his love. But he's saying, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Second Samuel, man, it's such a powerful, powerful passage. Second Samuel 15 um, the prophet Samuel says, what, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? I've been guilty in my life so many times where like I knew I wasn't being obedient to something that I was supposed to be doing, but I tried to make up for it by like doing stuff, right? Trying to like be nicer or I did more at church or I served more or, or even I gave more because I'm like, clearly that's gonna add up for what I know I'm not doing. And God's like, no, I don't, actually don't, I could care less about what you are doing and giving if you're not, because obedience is the thing that connects you to the heart of God. So right now, one of the biggest, I hate this word, one of the biggest pandemics we're seeing in our world for generations, especially in the Western church in America, or just Western in general, is we see more and more people ignoring obedience to God and trying to supplement it with their own, basically, idolatrous worship to God. Because they're trying to give God all these things that he's not even asking for. When he's like, I, I just want obedience. Because here's the cool thing. When we tap into the pure heart of God and begin to live obedient to scripture before the Lord, guess what happens? It ends up unlocking all those other things that we're trying to get to by skirting around obedience. 
It says, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission. That's Everybody loves that word in modern day culture. And submission is better than the offering, than offering the fat of rams, speaking of Old Testament sacrifice they would bring before the Lord. And here's, here's, this is a great one right here. Rebellion is as, the sin, is as sinful as witchcraft. These are powerful words. And stubbornness, somebody like, well, it's not like I, you know, I'm practicing witchcraft. And stubbornness, you're like, okay, well, dang it. Stubbornness, maybe. As bad as worshiping idols. Why? Because you are giving yourself to something and not trusting who you should be giving it to. When we don't trust God. See, here's the thing. Can I give you um, a little insight? Um, some, and it's okay if you disagree with this. There's no such thing as an atheist. Because by nature, an atheist says, I don't believe that there is a God that exists. Here's why that's impossible. Because whenever you remove the real God, you cannot not replace it with something else. In most cases, if you find yourself in that, in that train of thought, you have replaced God with yourself. So therefore, you're, you're, you still believe in God. You've just put yourself in the position of where God desires to be. So, so when we say, okay, I'm, you know, yeah, of course I love God, but we're living in rebellion to his word. We are actually worshiping ourselves and our desires, and we're worshiping what the world is putting in us more than we're worshiping God. And, that, and, and scripture says that is witchcraft. And so right now, I don't, really don't want to train, uh, derail the train and go in this direction, but we, we, are, we are more and more allowing the desensitization of the generation below us to understand that that's nothing more than fairy tale stories and entertainment. When what it's actually doing, it is grooming generations to be okay with witchcraft and, and think that there's nothing wrong. I can mix entertainment value of witchcraft and also love God at the same time. Scripture tells me that that's not possible. So obedience trumps sacrifice. Sacrificial living still has a place, but it never replaces obedience. Never replaces it. Obedience is, to God is our first act of faith. Hebrews tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So you cannot demonstrate kingdom generosity without first walking in obedience. This is huge. Obedience grows your love for God and leads you to generosity. Generosity is growth. Like if, if obedience is planting the seed, generosity is when fruit comes off of that tree that was planted by, from the seed. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so first obedience, then generosity. So this applies to absolutely every aspect of our life. We're not just talking about money and finances here. We're talking about everything, generosity of heart, generosity of spirit, generosity in your relationships and friendships, generosity with how we treat people around us. Like first obedience, then generosity. But today we are tying it into kingdom finances. I even, it was t I'm not even going to use it, but I, I put the title like kingdom economics. Well, that's the dumbest title I've ever heard in my life. I'm talking about economics in church. That's stupid. Anyway, but it applies to everything. So even in the kingdom world, when it comes to the finances, we understand a couple of principles. One, everything that we have is a gift from God. Everything. Everything. And, and, I, and I, gosh, I probably still need to. I've repented so many times for complaining to God about what I have and what I don't have. As if, <laughs> as if these are my things that from my labor and, you know, that I've earned, I've made this, I've built this. And God's like, that's, that's funny, that's cute, that's also disrespectful, and it's wrong. So 
Um, none of it is yours, everything you have. Your breath is a gift from God. The clothes on your back is a gift from God. Your job is a gift from God. Everything that we have, your relationships, your health is a gift from God. And when we lack those things, Scripture actually tells us to where do we go for help? We go to God. Why? Because it's his. Why do we, don't, we, don't, why do we neglect to go to God for the things that we know we need in our life? We go everywhere else, and when everything else fails, then we get desperate and we pray. We make prayer our last resource instead of our first priority. And so I'm praying that during these 21 days, that's another thing that refocuses in our spirits is that we begin to understand putting God first isn't just some spiritual euphemism to be like, yeah, seek God first and then everything else. And then we go live our life seeking everything else and putting God last. That has to change. So God, I pray that you would even refocus our church so that as we think about life and the things that you're calling us to do, that you would be the very first thing that we go to in all these areas of our life. All right, so, so let's talk about first obedience, then generosity. First obedience, then generosity. So here's tithing is obedience. Tithing is not generosity. If you want a deeper, more, uh, a more in-depth teaching on biblical tithing, we have that. We've done that before. It's, it's, on, our, it's on our website. It's on our, our YouTube page. You can find that message. And I encourage you, because if you are interested, sincerely interested in seeing what Scripture says about that, then dive into it. If you were coming at it from a skeptical point of view, then I would say, hey, well, that's, you know, I don't, I'm okay with that because this is between you and God. But, but pause what has forced the skeptical concept that you have of churches talking about giving. Don't throw it away, but shove it to the side and dive into Scripture and see what the, the historical, the biblical, the contextual, the theological theme of tithing, generosity, giving all throughout scripture. I believe you're gonna see the conclusion that we've come to. But I'm gonna give you some cliff notes today uh, on this. So tithe means 10%. Like, that's, that's, that's the definition of a word. I know so much in our culture today, words don't have definitions. You just say whatever you want, and then you make it mean whatever you want. But in the real world, and in dictionaries, words have definitions. If that's not true, then how did Daniel Webster make that book? Sorry, that was a joke. <clears throat> so tithe means 10%. That's what it's a tenth. So if you if someone who is giving less than 10%, you're not tithing. I'm, and nothing I'm saying today is going to bring judgment on anybody. Hopefully it brings freedom. So you're like, well, you know, I, I tithe, I tithe 5%. Well, that just means you're you're giving 5%, but that's not tithe, because that word actually has a definition. Does that make sense? So be like, well, you know, I started tithe 20%. That well, the first half was the tithe. After that, that's offering, that's above and beyond. So we need to understand what words mean when we read scripture and when we apply it to actually how we're doing. This isn't super deep yet. I'm just trying to make sure like, hey, let's, let's get educated about what words mean, what scripture means when it says it, so that when we use it in its proper context, we are echoing what scripture says, amen? So, so the tithe, and again, we're gonna break this down in a second. The tithe is giving the first 10% of your financial increase to God through your church. That's an important phrasing because you don't give it to your church. You give it through the church where God has called you and placed you, but you're giving it to God. <clears throat> Leviticus 27.30, some people are like, oh, Levit that's Old Testament, that doesn't apply. Hang with me. Leviticus 27.30 tells us that the tithe belongs to the Lord. It's his possession. It's not yours. We, we don't get to choose what we're going to do with it. It is something that is the first thing that we come to God and we say, thank you. Here's the tithe. Thank you. I'm giving this. belongs to you. I'm returning it to you. As I've heard some people say, like, you don't give a tithe. You return it. I'm like, what? actually, that's true. That makes sense. Because we're returning back to God what was already his. <clears throat> 
But ironically, in, in this passage in Leviticus, it actually says everything. It's talking about the tithe. It says everything belongs to the Lord. So if we, if we want to get really particular, we need to understand that, that God deserves a tithe of everything of our life your relationships, your time, your finances. I mean, whatever that increase in your life may be, we need to be intentional about what we're giving to the Lord. So we can hear, this is super important. We cannot replace what God wants us to give with something else that's more convenient for us to give. So here's, I'll give you two uh, converse ex- examples here. God asks you to give your time and to serve. But you just, you're like, well, I can't really do that because I'm super busy, so I'll just, I'll just give more financially. God didn't ask for that. He asked for your time. When God asks you for financial giving, you're like, well, he, you know, he knows my circumstances, so I'll tell you what I'll do, God. I can't do that. When we, say, when we tell God that we can't do something that he says we can do, what we're actually saying is that, God, I don't trust that you're going to come through for me. I don't believe your word over my circumstances. And so we say, okay, God, I can't give financially, but I can give time. God's like, I didn't ask for your time. I asked for this. And so we, so understand that, church, we cannot replace what God is asking us to give with something else that is easier for us to give. God knows what he's doing. He's not trying to bankrupt your schedule. He's also not trying to bankrupt your life. He's actually trying to get you to obey and trust who he is so that you can begin to walk in the identity and the authority that he desires to place inside of you. But he has to know if you're going to obey him first. And once you begin to live in obedience, God's like, now that is someone that I can flow my generosity through. Yes, God could send his magical packages of generosity down from heaven. You know, like, you know, like Hunger Games. Right? And they're coming. Nah, Hunger Games is probably a really bad reference. Anyway. But he wants to work through you. God wants to work through people. All right, so here, here's the cliff notes on tithing. This is not a tithing message, but I feel like it's important for us to understand the foundation for obedience so that we can step into what generosity actually is. Uh, so tithing is pre-Old Testament law. Some people say, I don't tithe because that's the law, and Jesus uh, abolished the law, which he didn't. We'll get to that in a second. But tithing actually shows up in Scripture 500 years before the law existed. In, in Genesis 14, Abraham won a battle, and he tithed to Melchizedek, which was an Old Testament representation, a type of Christ, if you will. Some people would even debate and argue that Cain and Abel was the first example of tithing, but it doesn't use that term. It just That's giving. It's an offering. Uh, tithing is in the Mosaic law. And so, and if you were to say, well, you know, again, we're not bound by the Old Testament law. Paul even says in Romans that the law came, was, you know, made, made things die. And so that's why we need Christ because it brings things back to life. Uh, but that's, that's just not a proper context. You need to understand the very words of Jesus when he said in Matthew 5, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. He goes, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, are we still here? Heaven and earth, still, we're still here, okay. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So he talks about if you even ignore the littlest detail of the law, then you are guilty of breaking the entire law. So Jesus, here's the thing, Jesus came to actually improve on what the law was. Because let's just pick out like one of the big examples from the law. Don't murder, okay. Uh, most of us, hopefully, are pretty good at this one. Don't murder. All right, I'm obeying the law. Guys, it's New Testament. Murder's cool now. That's ridiculous. But if you were to apply the same principle that people want to apply to tithing and other aspects, 
It would have to carry over. We can't pick and choose what we want to apply and what we not. Like, well, there's some parts of the law that don't apply to that. Yes, and those things are very clearly culturally applied to the Israelites in the wilderness as God was taking 400 years of slavery and building a nation out of slaves. Like there were laws that he had to put in place to teach and to disciple and to train people to no longer live as slaves, but form a nation that was going to be, have God as their leader. But tithing was not a part of what would be like, okay, guys, you're good now. You don't have to. But God, Jesus actually took it up. He's like, listen, the, Moses said, if you kill somebody, you're guilty of murder, uh, punishable by death, capital punishment. But I tell you, even if you look at somebody in your heart with hate, you're already guilty of murder. We're like, whoa. Like, don't commit adultery. Okay, no problem. But even if you look at somebody else lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Dang it. So, you know, it's like, open up the altars. All right, let's all get up here. Because we know Jesus wasn't going for the exterior. The law dealt with the exterior. Jesus deals with the heart. So all throughout the New Testament, here's what you see. Because I'll, I'll reference in a second. Through, and after the Gospels, you don't see a whole, there's almost no talk about tithing. There's some, but almost no talk about tithing through the letters of Paul and some of the other letters at the end of the New Testament. Why? Because they were being taken to a higher standard. It did not abolish tithing. Jesus actually tells us to tithe. We'll read that scripture in a second. It didn't abolish it. It always takes it to the next level. God's like Old Testament law that dealt with obedience. It dealt with just broken people. And guess what? I still want obedience. But now, now that that's a part of who you are and who I am establishing as a church, now I'm going to take it to another level. I'm going to take it from obedience to generosity. But you can never get to generosity without first dealing with obedience. Tithing is New Testament. This is the words of Jesus in Luke 11:42. He goes, what sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and you ignore justice and the love of God. And then he says, you should tithe. Yes. So there it is. He goes, but don't neglect the more important things. Well, see, it's saying that it's not important, but it's still saying do it. He's not diminishing the power and the importance of the tithe. He's saying, don't you dare do that without having my heart inside of you and living a life of justice and of love for the people around us. So it's a combination of what God's doing. And here's the last part here. Tithing removes the curse. It unlocks God's blessing, and it is for your single home church. That's so powerful. So Malachi chapter 3, probably the most used passage talking about tithing because it talks about this thing, the curse. And I think some people read that and like, oh, my gosh, not a curse. Like, you know, God's up in heaven with spirit fingers, like, putting curses on us. That's not how that works. There's no kettles and giant eye of newt and stick and a cauldron. That's not. A curse means you are living outside the blessing of God. And that's always done by an individual's choice and actions. God's never like, I am taking my blessing from you. No, it's always our choices, our steps, our lifestyle, our our rejection of or our obedience to that puts us in the blessing of God or pulls us out of the blessing of God. It's never God withholding because God is a generous God. But God will never force on you what by your actions you choose to not want to be a part of. That's why, I mean, side note, but that's why people, you know, I could never serve a God who would send people to hell. Be like, me neither. I don't think he does. But heaven is, I mean, heaven is real. Hell is real. But God is never going to force somebody to spend eternity with him that rejected him when they lived on this earth. God gives us the fruit of the choices that we make. Should people cheat God? Yeah, you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? How, How would cheat you, God? What are you talking about? You have cheated me of tithes and offerings due to me. 
and you are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. It says bring all the tithes, so there's kind of that total. At first it says tithe and offering, and then it switches over to focus on the tithe. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. Temple is the Old Testament word that was used where they gathered. It was the church. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. The only place in scripture where God says, put me to the test. Everywhere else, it is greatly frowned upon. <laughs> but this one area is like, try me. It's not, you know, it's not a sexual sin. Try me. See if, you, see if my grace isn't enough. Nope, that's not in there. Try me in this area and see if I don't pour out the windows of heaven. It's so good. It says, all the nations will call you blessed. So, so tithing returns the blessing of God back to his people. The curse is the absence of God's blessing. And again, that's because we are either in obedience or we are in disobedience. When we live in disobedience, we are choosing to reject what God has established, and we are choosing our own path. We are placing ourselves as God. Well, that puts us in a curse. So when we withhold the thing that God is asking us to give, that also puts us in a curse. I can't tell you how many testimonies I've had and heard from individuals who have chosen either by by choice, or maybe they just didn't fully know what scripture was teaching, and they did not tithe, and they always had something going on, like a wash and dryer, or this or that, or something's always broke, or, or you know, can't, can't get healthy, and I'm working my tail off, but I can't just, I can't get by, versus people who have taken steps of faith. I said, you know what, there have been plenty of moments where I could not afford to tithe, but I knew that God was asking me to be obedient, and I did. And groceries showed up on my front doorstep, and bills got paid. And a promotion came through. And that job interview that I've been trying to get, I got it. I, got, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have seen this be the reality for so many people. When we talk about how the, it, it's for the church, this is an important thing. The, the, where it says, bring it to the storehouse. So scripture can never mean for us what it did not mean for the people it was originally written to. Like Genesis to Revelation, that's going to be very, very important. That's also why when you read in Revelation, John was not visualizing some Apache helicopters rising from the sea, and that was like, he didn't know how to describe it, so he called it crazy locusts or whatever. No, that, that's not accurate because that's not what the original readers would have been like, well, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't even know what an Apache helicopter is, but a couple thousand years from now, it's all going to make sense to everybody. No, it's, that's not how you read scripture. You read scripture in the context of who it was written to, what it meant to them, and then what is God speaking to us from that truth? Never read scripture and say, well, what this means to me, like, stop, stop talking. Don't say that. Because that's not how you interpret scripture. You, scripture is not about you getting your truth. It's about you receiving God's truth. And so we have, to, we have to read scripture from the understanding that God is speaking a truth to an original audience and that that truth is still alive because the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, separating between soul and spirit. So the word of God is alive and active 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, still today. So when we read Malachi and he says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse, the, the Israelites would have known exactly what that meant. The temple, they had one temple in a, in a community area where people lived. And that storehouse would have been the resources within the church to help the, the temple do what the temple was called to do and help the priests do what the priests were called to do and meet the needs of that community. And so it, it wasn't, you know, put the tithe in the storehouse. And you're like, all right, well, 
Because I have, and, th- and this is just being real. And if this is you don't feel any conviction, we're just trying to bring some context to what's going on. Yes, I tithe, but I tithe out of my 10%. I give some to, to my church and some to that church. And, and, and some I give to people out that I know and to this organization that I really love. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You need proper understanding of what Scripture is telling you to do because there's a difference between a tithe and between what we do with the money after the tithe. And so, so many churches, let's just be real, so many churches struggle because people aren't tithing. I think our church actually does really good. You want to hear, want to hear a depressing fact? That's what you came to church for. <laughs> the, the average, so in America right now, and this was actually probably about 10 to 15 years ago, and I don't think there's been research to say, hey, guys, this is getting way better. But the average, like, 4% of faithful church attenders tithe. So just put that into context. And, and especially not, not even realizing whether that constitutes the full tithe or whether it's portions, because people do, oh, yeah, I tithe. Well, it's, no, it's 10%. Remember the whole definition word thing? And, um, and so if that's the case, then the church in America is missing 96% of the, of the operational resource to do what we're called to do. And then outside the church, everybody becomes a critic of what the church isn't doing. I'm like, yeah. Well, yeah, we're not. You know why? We don't have the resource to do it. Well, maybe if, you know. You prayed harder, preached better, had better worship. Maybe if you had, you know, if you had a more beefed up kids ministry or whatever, it'd be like, oh, oh, so you mean if the consumer product that the church produces in America entertained you better, then it would entreat your favor, you know, as, like, no, that's, that's not how this works. And so here's the deal. And I see like half of y'all are clapping, half of y'all are looking at me, and then the other half... Is some is trick or treating right now. So let's just, so let's just be real about that. Okay. So so here's the deal. Like the t- like it just. Can you imagine? I can't even. I can't even put a dollar amount in America on what that would equate to, if the church tithed 100. percent Now, if I were to guess, I would say our church is somewhere around 25 to 30 percent. Which, if we were to be like, ain't four percent. It's like, <laughs> praise God, you know. But at the same time, Scripture also says to compare ourselves amongst ourselves is not wise. Like the standard is not 4%, and then we're above 4%, so woo. No, the standard is we're obedient to the Lord. But, like, I, I don't look at that. Like, I see reports. I see numbers because I need to understand from an operational standpoint, budget, what we're doing, where money's going, all that type of stuff. But I'm not looking in every week being like, all right, Sunday afternoon. Let's, uh, let's see what we got here. Uh-huh. See, uh, you told me you got a promotion, but I don't see it on here. <laughs> That's not, I don't do that, okay? I don't do that. And, and I don't want to do that because when I look out here, I want to see your faces. I don't want to see your pockets. I want to see your hearts. I want to see what God's doing inside of you. And so, but what I do know is that, but if, if, we, took the, if we took the averages of the household median income in our region, not just in the nation, but in our region, and multiplied that times, uh, the, the, the people who call Convo Church their home, and we put that into what could be annual giving for our church, we're somewhere around 25% of where it could be. So that's, that's how I get that, that percentage in, in my mind about where we're at as a church. So you're like, well, I'm still not going to do it. So that's between you and God. Again, it's okay. If you, if you never give a dime to this church your entire life, and you get Jesus out of this church, we'll party in heaven. It's going to be amazing. We're, we're still going to open up the church for, for who you are and for what you need and to minister to you and to pray for you and to love you and to have relationship with you. Like, that's still going to happen. 
Like you're actually not even hurting us because God, you're not our source. People are not our source. But God's trying to awaken the hearts of people who call on his name, that love him, who have received his love, grace, and salvation, and say, hey, here's an area that I, where I want you to trust me. And if you do, I will unlock the floodgates of heaven for you. There's a reason why the world looks at the church with contempt, because the church acts like poverty mentality, because we don't trust God with the things that he has given us. And when, he, when you, like if, if I give my kids something really, really nice, and then two seconds later, smash, I'm like, well, I'm not gonna do that again. That was a terrible idea. Let me give you something a little bit less that you're going to, you know, even if it breaks, it'll be okay. No, God's like, boom, I'm going to see what you do with this. Dang, okay, let's see what you do with this. Next week I'm going to talk about stewardship because that's a big principle as well. So here's the deal. Generosity begins where obedience is fulfilled. That's so huge. Generosity begins where obedience is fulfilled. And, again, we're not talking about like a one-time generous moment or a one-time obedient moment. We're talking about a lifestyle. And, and, and are we all going to be perfect? Absolutely not. That's where there's grace and forgiveness because that's where God's like, okay, we made some, that was good. Let's keep working on that. Let me, let me, let me do something in your life. Let me, do, let me change something the way you think. Generosity begins where obedience is fulfilled. So here's the deal. God says the 10%, you don't get to even really think about where that is. The only thing I want you to think about is how you are worshiping me when you give it back to me. The 90%, that's where freedom comes in. Because he's saying, with 90%, I want you to do with it what you want. But I also want you to do it as a steward of the kingdom of heaven. So there's, there's, there's tithes. We talked about that, which is your first 10% that goes to God through your church. There's, there's offering, which offering in definition throughout the context of Scripture, offering always also went to and through your church. But it was from your generosity. It was above and beyond. And then the Bible also has, there's a third category. It doesn't get a lot of talk, but there's a third category of giving. It's called alms. Maybe you've heard like alms for the poor or whatever. But that is basically your generosity, again, out of that 90%, where you have the freedom to put it where you want. If you want to give to another church, great, that comes from alms. If you want to give to an outside organization, do it. Do it with faith. That comes from alms. If you want to help somebody on the street, if you want to buy somebody's coffee, I mean, those are all demonstrations of generosity through you, outside of your local church. And so listen, I'm telling you, when we as a church, and I say that the whole church, not even just Convo Church, when we begin to live in this, guys, that's when the world's gonna take notice. That's when, that's when we will no longer have to depend on the government to, to take care of us when the church should be stepping up. Amen. And the funny thing, and I kind of like harped on this a little bit ago, and y'all you know, made some noise, but when, when the church gets criticized for not doing the things the church is supposed to do, but that criticism always comes from people who are supposed to be a part of the church and they're not, complaining the church isn't giving, and that giving comes from the people that aren't giving to the church who could be helping the church do what the church is called to do. So let me read the scripture to you, and then we'll, we'll take a couple of minutes to, to, to unpack this, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I love this, verse 6. It says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. It's, it's, it's basic. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Again, we're talking about generosity at this point. This is not talking about tithe. Everybody takes, this is a false application. Well, you know, it's, it's about what's in my heart. The, again, the tithe is not up for discussion. It is between you and God, but it's not up for discussion when it comes to application. So when we talk about generosity and seed, we're talking about that above and beyond. You have to decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Because God loves a cheerful giver. 
and God will generously provide all you, these are promises. He will provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Ever wonder like, well, what am I supposed to do with the extra? Well, it's not just so that you can increase your square footage, upgrade your car, go on a shopping spree. (laughs) It's like, those are great. Those are fantastic. But when God blesses us, it's so that we can be a blessing to somebody else. For the one who provides the seed for the farmer and bread to eat, um, or for it's God who provides the seed and the bread to eat, and in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity through you. Somebody say amen. Thank you again for joining us on the Convo Church podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Convo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you want to sow into the ministry, go to ConvoChurch.com and simply click the Give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories and tag us at Combo Church. Thanks again for listening, and make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.